Thank you for joining me on yet another edition of the Urantia Radio Podcast, where we talk about the fifth epical revelation of spiritual truth. And if you want to get a sense of the global growth and the different events and groups doing such great things, check out UrantiaRadio.net and click events on the homepage. In a moment, Gaetan Charlon is a Canadian citizen who developed a very early interest in religion. He found the Urantia book in 1979 while he was, quote, desperately seeking for spiritual truth. In 1997, he participated in a study group for the first time, and it changed his whole perspective on the meaning of the contents of the Urantia book and, in fact, his life. In this interview, we talk a lot about the Urantia movement, who we are, our mission, his experience in sharing the revelation, plus truths he's learned along the way on the Urantia Radio Podcast. So, Gaitan, tell us a little bit about you and your background. Okay, so uh, my name is Gaitan Charlin. I live in Canada. In fact, I live in the province of Quebec, uh, 30 miles north of Montreal, in this small city that's called Saint-Sophie, which is at the foothill of the Laurentian Mountains, which are the oldest mountain on Laurentia, according to the Laurentia book. I've been a reader since 1979, I've been having a study group since 1999, which is still going on to this day. Uh, I participate in many activities, rancher related. I'm the president of my local association. I'm also uh, helping out on other activities, such as a nonprofit organization for uh, mentally, uh, not disabled, but mentally affected people which suffer from anxiety and panic attacks. So I'm a presenter at uh, many of the conferences, and I facilitate the group every week. I brought you on because you have an upcoming webinar. You do webinars, and all of the things that you talked yeah. about are things that I really want to talk to you about. So I'm really just so blessed to have you on the Arantia Radio podcast. Uh, so let's start with the immediate present, which, and then we'll go into some of the other more interesting things of your background and your experiences and what's happening in the Arantia Book Movement. But talk about the webinar that's coming up this uh, week. And for those who may not hear it or see it, who listen to this podcast afterwards, tell us what inspired you to want to tackle the subject of the Lucifer Rebellion and its impact on us, also the Revelation. I believe the name of the webinar is Lucifer, the Revelation, and Us. So tell me what, what led you to want to do this this seminar. Okay, so, well, in fact, the real title is The Luciferian Way of Thinking, The Revelation in Us. As we know, uh, the Lucifer Rebellion has been uh, over when Michaels came on Earth and, and uh, finalized, uh, in fact, he finalized the rebellion at that time. There was no more rebellion, but we still live in the effects of the rebellion. So why was I interested in that subject? Well, it's been in my mind for many years now. You know, when the, I traveled the world as president of Urantia Association International, I could see the difficulty of people, you know, trying to come together and uh, seeing there was division among the movement. You know, there's been a split in 89, which 
cause a lot of problem. I remember my own feeling when the split occurred, how I felt devastated, not only mentally, emotionally, but spiritually. So I wanted always to find a reason for for this happening. Why did people that are supposed to be ranchable creators supposed to have the light, you know, the truth, and then they choose to split, you know, they choose to separate themselves in two different entities and, and fight, you know, for many years. So it's been an ongoing research for me. And, and so uh, when I was taking lately, you know, uh, what could I do to help people improve their way of living as to become really ambassadors of this revelation? So I made a presentation uh, a while ago for UAI, which was called the Fatherhood of God and the, and the Brotherhood of Man. I did the same in French, but while I did the, when I did the same in French, uh, I made it differently. Like I was inspired to say different things, you know, like I don't prepare my, my presentation like writing down everything. I use a few quotes and I let myself be inspired at the moment when I meet the people which, who are present during the presentation. Mm -hmm. So when I made that second presentation in French, I was much inspired to do maybe the same in English, but differently and focus a little bit more on what I thought, and especially what's going on in the world at this time. If we look at what the world is, is going through at this time, we know there's a uh, a fight to change the orders of the world. You know, we we see the what's happening with Ukraine and the uh, and Russia. We see what's happening with China. Then they're they're nearly affiliated with Russia, and they're waiting to see what will happen. And probably one day they will have you know invade Taiwan, which is their their forefront in their mind. So there's there's a, a change of order in the world at this time. Democracy is being attacked on all sides, even from within, and has been attacked within for many years, for many years now. But what about us, Renewable Creator? Where do we stand in all this all those conflicts? What can we do? And this was the, the reason I made this webinar. And for those who are familiar with the story, Lucifer, and I would like to talk about that because you bring up a lot of different points that we could we could delve into. Among them is the Liberty Doctrine. We tell us, in your words, Lucifer asserted three things when the rebellion uh, occurred. He challenged the authority of Michael. He believed that God was not real, and he also believed that far too much time was wasted on the ascendancy program, the actual building of souls of mortals mm -hmm. into the Marancha world and then on beyond. But the, the, the essence, is it fair to say that Lucifer's major sin was that he said that God didn't exist? And today we see that in our cultures, the same thing, that the emphasis is put on personal liberty without cosmic responsibility. Can you delve into how, his, how he has impacted modern life? Well, some of it. Many years ago, I, I participated in a lecture at the University of Montreal where a philosopher was uh, explaining how the world was influenced by the philosophy of Aristotle. 
our, all our educational system was based on mostly on its philosophy. And that impressed me a lot. So when I, I read about the Lucifer Rebellion and the consequence of it and everything that the Lucifer Manifesto claimed, I said, well, you know, if we've been subject to the Lucifer Rebellion for this way of thinking for 200,000 years, now I compare that to Aristotle, who lived about 400 years before Christ, so it's about only 200 and 400 years from now, and we've been influenced by him. So imagine the influence that Lucifer has in our way of thinking, if this way of thinking was influenced for over 200,000 years. And in, it influenced not only our way of thinking, it influenced our philosophy, it influenced our educational system, it influenced our politics, uh, it influenced our uh, health system, you know, it influenced how we think about family relationship. It influenced how we think about liberty. Uh, you know, I'm Canadian, so when I, I look at how I see liberty, and I look at other country, how they see liberty, when I, I talk to other readers across the world, you know, when I go to, even when I go to U.S., where I have many friends, and when we talk about our different ways of thinking, I can see that their, their perception of liberty is quite different than mine. How so? so? Give me an example, should, if you could. Why, yes. So why why should that be? You know, so because, you know, there are things in the U.S. that people believe it's their right, you know, by the Constitution. And, uh, you know, many, many things. It has to do also with uh, pollution, for example, the right to, to do whatever we do, you know, like, and, uh, you know, like the right to own weapons. We don't have that in Canada. Mm -hmm. And we see... For us, it is a folly to promote the use of, you know, a weapon, to own, you know, a weapon for any kind of reason. Uh, well, of course, we do have people that go hunting, and that's okay. But, you know, to own a weapon just to defend yourself, you know, when you're supposed to be a country where you're supposed to be the, well, the most beautiful country in the world, the most powerful country in the world where, where you know, all dreams are possible— how is it that you need to have a weapon, carry a weapon with you all the time to protect yourself? What kind of liberty is that? So for me, that was, you know, quite a, a paradox mm -hmm. to try to understand that. And, you know, I've seen other things. One day I'm walking on the street with one of my friends. Uh, I don't want to say his name. but Anyway, there's this guy going by with a motorcycle, you know, and those motorcycles that make a lot of noise. Oh, sure. And my ear are just, are just hurting. <laughs> and I'm telling him, so I said, see, this is so infantile in such a way. He said, why do you say that? You know, well, that's, that's noise. I like that noise, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, don't you think that noise is hurting a lot of people around? Some people would like peace. And this guy's going around but making all kinds of noise, you know. Is it really necessary to enjoy a ride in a motorcycle? Right, right. There and is a, I think yeah. I mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the kind of liberty sometimes we take without thinking. Because that's the way we are. We think, well, well, if I have a right to do, why not? You know, and I could tell you another story about money, you know, financial, that people believe that uh, they can make uh, all kinds of money. Why not spend it on all crazy things, you know? Why not giving it away to people that need it, you know, like charitable organization? 
or help the world become a better place, why use it all for yourself instead of using part of that money to make the world better? So this is why when when I traveled around, I was questioning myself and I met a lot of people. I was privileged to make a lot of, meet a lot of people that had different views than mine and try to evaluate, am I right or are they right? Can we unify our thoughts, you know? Can we meet somewhere where we are? So this provoked a lot of thinking in me and coming about to look at what the Lucifer way of thinking, how was it influencing the world today? And not only the world at large, but us as a ranchable creator. This is what I want to explore in that webinar. We have two major obvious things that happened. One was the lack of, of the of a planetary prince, of, of a long-standing, think of how the world would be different if there had been no rebellion. Adam and Eve would still be here. Much like, you know, it reminded me when we were watching the Queen and the world was in, engaged with the, the Queen and her funeral. And, uh, you know, to me, that that's sort of almost a metaphor because human beings, we don't have that, we don't have an Adam and an Eve. We don't have a long-established culture, cultural mm -hmm. center. Uh, we were deprived of of being taught revelation for you know at least forty thousand years, going back to Adam and Eve, and and, and then of course as you say you know two hundred thousand years ago. So we are basically orphaned from that from certain knowledge that would have maybe resulted in us being far more advanced than we are today. But what are the other things that that the and is it fair to say that that uh, man would not had Let's say Lucifer's rebellion never occurred. Is it fair to say that human beings themselves would have tried to live without God as well because, because we're not as spiritually advanced? In other words, if our evolutionary religion was all that we had, it seems like today in the age of reasoning and scientism that we're, we're, we're discarding God as if he is an old cultural icon. And I know the Arantia book says it, and I know all the great religious religious leaders say this, but for whatever reason, most people don't believe it, which is that if you have a, a society without God, that, that society is not going to last. That seems to be mm -hmm. the lesson that we're not learning, and that's part and parcel why we're having some of these problems, right, in the world today? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but you know what? Uh, we still have some remain of the, of the Adamic blood in our system. So there are still people around the world that are more spiritual than others, uh, taken from their you know, heritage, uh, genetic heritage. Mm -hmm. And if we look at the Rancho community as we are, one thing I will be talking in my, my webinar is, is about us. Who are we, us? Ranchable creator. Why is it that we were interested in the ranchable? What what makes us different? And I'm going to explore, you know, the difference between us and the others who we have shown the book and they're not interested in it. So, what makes us different? You know, in my family, my own family, we're seven children. You know, there were two two girls and five boys. And in my own family, out of all those children, only me, my sister, 
and my mother read the Wrenchable. And I was lucky, you know, I was really privileged that my mother got interested in the Wrenchable and even my younger sister. But they were not as interested in it as I was. And I had a study group with them for many, many years. So I was thinking many times, you know, why is it that for me, the Rancher book attracted me? Why is it that I found it or it found me, whatever? Why is it that it doesn't attract other people? Why is it they're not interested in the same question? Why is it that my family members who have the same education that I have are not interested in it? Look at Jesus' family. He was one that was interested with finding his father's will. What about his brother and sister? A lot of them were, you know, not, yet, not interested as he was, yet they were from the same education. And even Jesus gave them that education. Mm-hmm. What made them different than Jesus? And I think the secret is in personality. And I will explore a little bit about our own personality. Who are we? as a ranchable creator, what makes us different? Do we have a personality that contains potentials that the creators have, you know, planned that we have on a planet like ours? You know, personality is given by the Father and he knows how to, to help us out in some ways. So what if our personality are distinct, are different than other personalities? Not different in a way that we're superior or anything, but different in the way of its potential, in the way that we uh, we are looking for truth all the time. You know, if you look at the ranchable book readers that have been that have found the book by themselves because they were looking for it, what made them so much of a truth seeker? Why are they always searching for truth, looking for God somewhere by any which kind of way? And yet you look at other people, you know, they're not even interested by the same question. So I believe that in any population, there are different kinds of personalities. Some are scientists, some are artists, some are interested in healthcare, some are interested in social welfare, whatever, government, politics, family. But for us, we're interested in finding the truth. And maybe we are, you know, those prophets of the new world. In the old days, there were prophets. Maybe we are those new prophets that we are there to see truth wherever we find, uh, you know, a place where to plant those seeds, you know, a very fertile ground. So, and I think we can explore this a little bit more and find our place in this world and what we can do about it to make it a better place to live. You mentioned um, that, well, you first of all, you've been to probably more than the average study group. So, do you see commonalities in, in personality traits of the people that you generally run yes. into? Yep. Can you tell us about that? What are those oh, yes. personality traits? Who are we? Who do we tend well, to be? I I think first of all, I call ourselves. Uh, would I, in French, we have a, a, a saying uh, where we call uh, we're mostly like. Uh, a GPS for truth, if, we can, if I can say that. <laughs> yeah. And the, and even in study groups, you know, we have people in my own study group. We've been having, you know, different people for the last 22 years I've been having my study group. And we've been having people that are steadfast. You know, they always want to know more and more and more and more. 
in the end, there are those people that came in and, uh, you know, they stayed for us for one year, two years, three years, four years. They left and others came in and different type of people. Some of them only stayed for a few months. Others stayed all the time. You know, I have some people within my study group that have been there for the whole 22 years. Mm-hmm. Some of them die. But some of them stay, and some of them are more progressive than others, depending on on their satisfaction with life, you know, uh, what's happening in their life. And when we find someone in our study group that truly is looking for truth more than the others, truly wanting to grow more and more, I found out that those people are always trying to find a way to express what they have found, either their are associated with service activities outside of the rancher community. I have people within our study group that are helping people in uh, what they call, you know, we have houses where people go when they have cancer and they will die. And those people, what they do, they go there to assist those people in their last days on this planet. I have other people that go into old people's home to give them comfort, you know, to, to be a you know, with them, to talk with them, to read with them, to, to be a companion with them. Uh, myself, I'm involved in two, uh, another group where I help people that suffer from anxiety. I have another person, my study group, that's involved with the, a local church. And she took on some, uh, you know, uh, chores in that church and be, and, and be there to try to uh, engage in other, with other peoples and maybe plant seed in their mind, you know, about, you know, some of the true containment wrenchable. And we have people that are just there, you know, they're just reading and enjoying the company and enjoying what we're, we're doing within the study group. So they are different personality even in the study group. And it's the same thing in the whole community of wrenchable creator. Hmm. There are those who are want, who want to be involved very involved in the community, they take responsibility, and at the same time, they might have, you know, other service activity outside of the community, which we encourage very much, because how is it that we will, you know, disseminate the truth that we we know that are so dear to us, how we will do that if we're not sharing them with people outside of our home community? So... I'm always engaging people, you know, I'm always encouraging people within our group to go outside and share with the people they meet the truth that they hold so dearly in their heart. But first, to share those truths, they need to incorporate those truths in their lives. They need to live those truths, to be effective, uh, you know, sowers of those truths. You know, there's a writing that the president's message, the president of the Ranch Association International, as a matter of fact, I'm sure you know him, Enrique in Brazil, yes. Trevor. Yes. He writes uh, mm-hmm. sort of dovetailing on what you just said. He says, when we act enthusiastically to attract more souls to the kingdom of God, there are many different approaches. But no matter which approach we use, we certainly want everyone to feel the same attraction to the revelation as we do. However, he says, I have observed that some of us are convinced that converting our fellows in favor of this revelation is a great grace and a precious service to others. And we offer mm-hmm. deliver impassioned speeches, but sometimes it gets people into trouble. So, uh, and, and he, like you, I think, 
have been around long enough to know that you have to do what the master Jesus taught us, which is you don't want to overwhelm people. Uh, you mm-hmm. want, right? Exactly. Well, well, we've all learned that, you know. If you've been reading the book for long and you've been trying to pass the book along to other people, you know that a lot of people won't accept the book. Only a very few will ever start reading it. And that was my own experience. And I, I've learned that from other people also when they share what, what they've tried to do with the book. Oh, it's frustrating. And I truly, yeah. yeah and I, and I truly believe, you know, like the Russian book says, if you try to do something the same way all the time and you expect different results, then there's <laughs> something is wrong with you. you Your know? approach. Then you, know, you have to realize, <laughs> uh, you it, have to realize that you're not doing the right thing, you know? Well, I, in my last podcast, I read paper 137, which is where Jesus gives his very first public in the synagogue after the four months of training with the apostles. And in my mind, that was the, here's the son of man, the creator's son, master of the universe. Mm-hmm. And he's giving his first public speech. And then at the very end, uh, the, the midwayer uh, makes the point that really only about 30% of his audience, whatever that audience was, really even barely uh-huh. understood his message. And he knew that. He knew that he, in his message, he, he must have understood that most people it was going to go right over their head. But he did it in such yeah. an impassioned way. And and by the way, the message that he gave on that day is still the same message, which is the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man and the kingdom is within you. Those are the three precepts that haven't changed in 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so. and, you know, and you know what, what I think? I think that this truth, you know, that the fatherhood of God and brotherhood of men and the precept that God lives within us is so powerful as a truth. And it, it is so simple, you know, and it's saying that we disregard it as effective. We don't understand clearly what happens spiritually when, when we accept that truth. You know, when we really understand the profound truth of it, you know, what does it do to a human being? And I think Jesus knew that the spirit of truth would come after him, you know, when he left this world. And so he knew that because when he left this world, the spirit of truth would come in, and then the adjuster would come in, that that truth would become a lot more effective in the mind of men to transform them. But it seems like a lot of people relegated that truth to the fourth revelation and they're not thinking about it anymore. And most wrenchable creator wants to share everything else that they find in the book. You know, some pe- I was attracted myself. Uh, I was not attracted by the life of Jesus because I had read the Bible before. I was more attracted by the Adam and Eve and the Lucifer rebellion and everything else, mm-hmm. you know, about the history of the Rancho than about what changed, the, you know, what can change myself. What can change me spiritually? And then I only discovered that way after I read the book a few times with my search about finding God. You know, I wanted really to become different. I wanted to become like Jesus was. And I think we forget or we don't understand fully the true meaning or the implication of that meaning, which is the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, and that God lives within ourselves. And I think it's still an actual thing today. It is today as important to live that reality and to teach that reality, maybe in a different ways, you know, because they say so in the ranch, 
we have to use different terms nowadays because of the modern civilization, more related to family. Mm-hmm. But we need to find new ways to proclaim that truth. That is true. That's a so, challenge because people today, uh, because of our, our obsession with words and not being offended uh, and making sure mm-hmm. that our, our, you know, our egos are never ruffled, you know, we have to be mm-hmm. careful about it. And, and, and you're right. I have, I, I, I'm not kidding, Gaetan. I have had people tell me, never talk about Jesus. They get offended. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. So do I. <laughs> but it's the reality of our world because so many people have used Jesus in the wrong way. They've used them. They use the name Jesus to proclaim their own ideas, their own agenda not that a spiritual agenda. And that has the, maybe devalue the, the name Jesus. But if we live with Jesus in our heart, we don't need to, to talk about this, about him all the time. It's more about this message that is important. Mm. And people will recognize that. After I, you know, I have, had, yeah. I have had experience with my friends from Africa in Senegal, I don't know, you've probably heard of Musa D.I. in mm-hmm. Senegal that mm-hmm. uh, created a series of seminars, and I took all those seminars. But I was interested in how it influenced the people, especially the Muslim people. How is it that Muslim people would be attracted to Durantia Book? And now you imagine sharing Durantia Book with Muslim people. When they see that big part of it is about Jesus, a lot of them will reject it right away. So how is it that he was able to share the Urantia book to Muslim people? How did he go about it? Well, he he went at it a very different way than we did, a way that was very respectful of the people living around him and the the community of people around him, the culture of the people in which he was living in. And I learned from from those seminars, and today they have a school where they they teach every day well, every week, about 50 different people around the world through the Zoom, uh, mm. you know, application. And they, they created a school, which is called Sagesse Divine Progressive. They have a website now, which is French and English. And I will share that link during my presentation. And there's also another school that I took courses. They're, they're more uh, focused on how we share the teaching. You know, we, sometimes we forget that on this world that we are in now, Christianity has at least 2 billion followers. That's quite an army, you know, when you look at it. 2, million, two billion people that are Christian in this world. And sometimes we forget that, you know, if we bring those people along to accept the truth of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, and that God lives within them, then they become free of all those dogma because they'll start thinking about their own sonship with God. And that school, they, they, those people that created that second school, they, they call it the, the school of ambassadors, was created by the Christ experiment people. There are four people dedicated totally to help Christians become believers in the Rancho Books teaching. Someone was telling and me about that too, this, yeah. I recently heard about that. And, and a lot of people, you know, be, the thing is, is sometimes when people hear about them, they're, they're, where they come from, first of all, they were, at the beginning, Jehovah's Witness. 
they left their, their church because they found their wrenchable. And they wanted to share their rental book with other people of their own community. But they found out that a lot of people in their own community would not accept the book. But they found ways to do that. They, they found ways to bring respectfully. That, that's the problem. You know, when I start thinking about that, I was thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. And there's a fruit of the Spirit. You know, there are nine of them. There's a fruit of the Spirit. The ninth, I think it's the ninth one. It's called Temperance. I don't know what it's called in English. In French, it's called tempérance. It's to, so it's the fruit of the spirit we don't exactly, you know, talk about. But tempérance or temperance is to, to restrain ourselves. You know, when we're so enthusiastic, to share too many things. You know, to give too much, to drink too much. Usually, temperance is is associated with drinking or, or eating, you know, for people that drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. But temperance is also for spiritual thing. We cannot share with baby a steak. We cannot share something, <laughs> everything we know that's in the original to someone that's still a baby spiritually. And Jesus understood that. So those people at Christ's experiment, what they did, because of their long, long association with the Jehovah Witness and all the courses that they took in ministry, they knew, they, they had some experience and how to share truth because they've been experiencing those things for years, you know, trying to bring people into the, the, the Jehovah Witness movement. Now they took all that experience and they created a course which is called School of Ambassadors. And in that course, they show you how to bring people that are Christian to the wrenchable. But sometimes people, because they say, oh, they're with Jehovah Witness. They're not Jehovah Witness. They were Jehovah Witness, you know. I was a, a Roman Catholic before. Some people were Muslims before, or still are Muslims. Some people were Jewish. You know, that, as long as you found God and you found the wrenchable book and you want to share that truth, you're no more part of that group. You know, you're, you're something different. And if people would truly engage themselves in taking course, and of course, the other courses, I took a course in UUI, Urantia uh, University Institute, uh, a course that was given by Marvin Gawin, which is the family of God, which I, I found very, very enlightening and very useful to find out who we are as children of God. And I'm pretty sure there are all kinds of courses at the different schools like UBIS or others that are very, very good for us to learn how to share the teaching. But there should be more courses being available on how to share the teaching, but not only how to share it, but how to change ourselves. Because we need to be good messenger, not only give message away, but we need to be the message, not only to share the message. And that's the hardest thing to do, I think. You said that when you first started going to the meetings that changed your life and it changed your approach to the way that you looked at the Urantia book because you had had it already in possession for a couple of years. So what was the value of the study group? What did you get from it that changed your perception? I can say that my, when I first participated in my, the first study group participated in 1987, that was a few years after I found the book. I found the book in 1979. It took me about a year and a half to read it. And after I read it, I took a little break, you know, trying to make sense of it in my mind. And one question I had 
was, is this all true? I have to struggle with that thought, you know. If it's true, then I have to live according to what it says. If it's not true, well, what is it? Maybe I just discarded it. So I let it aside for a while. And after two years of that, when I thought about it, I was a, I was a bit mad at myself. Uh, mad at myself for, for having read that book because I had taken the decision that was the truth that I was reading. I decided that Renshaw was it, was what I was looking for all my life. And if it was what it was, the truth, I needed to put my act together because I was not, you know, living a very good life at that time. Like many, many people, you know, I was involved in, in, in alcohol, not that much drug. You know, I took marijuana a little bit, but I was drinking too much for my own my own health. So in 1987, when I decided that's it, you know, I have to move forward. So I decided to join the study group. That was my first group because my first experience with other readers, I had a different experience with other readers in different uh, meeting where, where rental book reader gathered for Michael's birthday. I remember in 1982, I went to such a meeting and when I saw the people there, you know, I saw all kinds of people. And there were two of these people that were there that were supposedly channeling a Melchizedek. And they were dressed like a big, you know, white, white robe. And they were playing music <laughs> and all this. And I said, wow, you know, this is not what I'm looking for. This is crazy. You know, I don't want to be part of a group that have such people in it. You know, I want to be in part of the group that people want to do good in life. You know, they're good people. They're looking for truth. Not people that think they're, you know, Melchizedek or whatever. Right. So I left completely the movement of that day, and I went alone myself. And so in 1987, I decided when I wanted to turn my life around to participate in my first study group. And when I did that, it was like for me, I was finding the book again. It was like a new book mm. because I was hearing from other people different ways of looking at truth. And there's one thing I did not understand that the big, well, there are many things I did not understand my first reading. And one of them was the Supreme. I did not understand what was the Supreme. And when we read, when we read that in, into the, the meeting in our study group, and I finally got it, well, not all of it, but got enough of it to understand one of its meaning. It transformed. It, it took me two years to make adjustment in my mind mm. to really, uh, you know, all the uh, all the meanings of it, you know, compared to the other true container wrenchable. And I was so amazed what it did to me that I say, wow, study groups are the place where you can learn something, something different. It's like everyone is a new book. Mm -hmm. Everyone reads the book differently. So every time you listen to one of them, it's like you're, you're reading a different book. You're reading a different perspective, different meaning. And in our group now, what we have, we, what I ask people to do is what touch you in what you read. Tell me how it affects you spiritually. Tell me how we can apply this, this truth we just read in your life. What is it that really motivates you? What is it that touches you profoundly? And so we have a lot of group we read slowly, but people share their true, profound, spiritual impression or emotion of what they read. That's, that's quite an experience because then people 
you know, will will associate with those understanding their service experience with that. Sometimes people are involved in different services outside the community, and they will come back. They say, "Here I am. I have had that experience, and this is where the, the, that knowledge was useful for me." And I did that also with myself when I, when I had business. Uh, I had a few business. I still own business, but I don't go to them anymore. I have a partner. But all those years that I had, you know, managing my business, I was trying to put in those business, those principles that I found in Wrenchable. And it made a lot of difference in my life. So I think everyone can do that. That is true. So this is what yeah. study group did for me. Yeah, I think the book and the study group, seeing other people, it, it actually wants, motivates me, maybe you, others, to be a better person because you're living for a more greater cause. You're part of a citizenship. It's like, you know, Jesus says, don't strive uh, with men. Uh, you are not of them. Mm -hmm. Once you accept your citizenship role, I suppose, uh, and that's mm -hmm. just very interesting. And I, I love what you say about study groups, I found it very comforting just to meet people who could, I wasn't afraid to talk openly about the Arantia book because you're right. Uh, and kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, you know, here's the master of the universe, 30% of the, his, his audience kind of understood his message. But even today, it's still that way. It seems like uh, mm -hmm. it's a great message, but it's still going to fall on a lot of deaf ears because let's face it. A lot of people, like you say, you can't give a stake to a child. Uh, if you're, if your spiritual mm -hmm. language is, if you're spiritually illiterate, where there is no soil mm -hmm. for any truths to grow in your head, then it's going to be a tough struggle. And, and I, I don't yeah. know, I, I've never felt compelled. I think I gave up after about the fourth year of trying to convince people. It just, it wasn't worth mm -hmm. it to me to try to, you know, uh, advocate for the Urantia book. I be, I make it known that I read it. People want to ask me questions. Or if they like what I say about things, then then it's a great mm -hmm. conversation starter. But so I, I want to go back real quick. This is so important. Uh, Gaetan Charlon uh, is with us, and you have such a rich experience being now even today a trustee with the Urantia Foundation, president of Urantia Association International, uh, also working with people who uh, have acute anxiety. So. Today, mental illness is such a big issue in the Western world. Do you think that the Urantia book, mm -hmm. and its, Urantia book and its approach to helping us understand how the mind works could help a lot of people with their anxiety, with their, with their depression? Why do we have such... What is causing this upsurge in mental illness? And how, and how does the Urantia Ooh. book maybe solve some of that? Uh. First of all, I want to make a little correction. I'm not a trustee of a uh, foundation. I'm an associate trustee. That's very different. <laughs> okay. The trustee is there for life. I'm oh, only sorry. there for a while. You're just passing through. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, concerning mental illness, why I was so much interested in it, because at one time I suffered from a panic attack. So mm. that's where that affliction, I, I need, uh, in fact, I used the affliction to become... Uh, service-oriented toward this, this group of people that suffers. It was an opportunity for me 
because I, I got to understand what it was, you know, having a panic attack, having anxiety attacking on all this and, and the cause of it also, because there are many causes to anxiety and panic attack is there's just one cause. And, and the first thing I remember when there was some friends at home one Sunday and I was telling them many years ago, that was maybe in the year 2000, the beginning of the year 2000. And I told them I had panic attack and they were a book reader. And you know what they told me? They says, well, where's your faith? <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't have faith. And because I didn't have faith, I was having panic attack. <laughs> and, you know, and I thought to myself, wow, you know, what is it? Is it true that I'm lacking faith? This is why I have anxiety and panic attack. And I found out, no, well, of course, faith can help us overcome anxiety. But anxiety is not caused by a lack of faith. It's caused by many, many other things. And so I devoted, well, it's over 20 years now, 22 years that I've been going to that group and devoted every week. I help people with that group, with, with different people coming in every week to that group. I made conference for that organization in hospital many, many times in schools, in old people's home to help people understand what was anxiety. And you know what? When I took the seminar from Musa in 2000, well, he, not in 2000 exactly, 2002 after I met him in New York, I went to Africa with my friend Guy Perron and my wife. Mm-hmm. And we took the first seminar. And I was so astounded, you know, I was so enlightened by what he said about the mind and consciousness, how to work with personality in his first seminar that they changed the way I look at the adjutant mind spirit and the mind. I understood mind, but not like he was explaining it, because like he was, you know, had taught about this for years and years and years because he was a psychologist. In fact, he was a social psychologist and teaching that at the University of Dakar for many, many years. So I use the knowledge of the mind, what they talk about the mind in Rensha book, in that first seminar. In fact, even this week there, when I went to help those people, the, 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 uh, the meeting lasts for two hours. It's how it works. And half the meeting is theory. You know, like I, I talk about what is anxiety. I talk about different tools to control anxiety. And I talk about different ways that we can manage anxiety. And the second part is people coming together and exchanging their problem. You know, we have questions, we ask them, and each one of them has to answer. And I used this one hour, this first one hour, and this week I used that one to talk about the mind and the spiritual reality, how it can help resolving the problem of anxiety. So everything that I learned from Grenchable, I tried to put it in a way, when they talk about the mind, in a way that will be consumable, will be agreeable to their own mind, to their own comprehension. So I make drawings. I explain the mind, you know, the, the brain, then the mind overlapping the brain. Then I put on the side the ego. I put the aside the, the, the soul. I put on top the personality. I don't talk about the adjuster, but I talk it in, dif- in their indirect way, like the heart. You know, when we, we feel something in our heart, I say, this is the spirit within you. And you have potential. So I use all this knowledge to teach people. I never talk about the wrenchable. Never. Because, you know, that would probably chase people away and, and it would not be good for the organization that I serve. So, but I, I teach 
A lot of things that I learned in Renshaw I talked to them about the three value, beauty, goodness, and truth. And what are those three reality, those three value, how they, they can change themselves. I talk about them, how the words they use to express, you know, are they good words? And with their actions, how it influence their spiritual progression. Why spiritual progression is so important to resolving the problem of anxiety. Not that we will always have anxiety in our life because people that suffer from anxiety have predisposition, sometimes genetic predisposition. It has to do with the expression of the gene, but it doesn't change the gene. But I use the what I learned from the Rancher book in, a lot in what I do with this organization, and it helped people. Do you, when you read the Urantia book and it talks about feeble-mindedness and uh, where it makes the distinction between the different levels of, of thinking, how do you interpret? How do you interpret that? Is it is it in? Does it offend you? Does it does it? Do you think that it sets people up as uh, where it could create potential problems of superiority complexes or things like that? Uh, what was your interpretation when they? And they they don't they don't brag too much about the human mind. They they say that we give our human brain a lot more credit than it deserves, which I find to be humorous, uh, so, somewhat self deprecating. <laughs> but um, yeah, <clears throat> but you mean to talk about that to those people that suffer some anxiety, or the people at large? No, I'm just in general, like your interpretation, uh, the Urantia book. Uh, many times when it talks about, we tend to have a higher perception of our intellect, intellectual keenness than we should. Oh, that, <laughs> I, I think that's what I call spiritual pride. Or spiritual pride. pride. Yeah. Right, right. Well, um, do, but do you I, see the, tr- going back to that, though, seriously, though, because it's very important, do you believe that secularism has a lot to do with the anxiety that's going on in the world? In some way, uh, I can see my own my own country and around the people I go to help and the people around me, in my own community, that people today are not like they were before, you know. They're not as, as much believer in God as they were before, you know, their family, or their parents or whatever. So they have left aside the mechanism that could provide them comfort and progress, spiritual progress. For example, prayer. And I think a lot of, even us, Rancho Book Reader, I've met so many Rancho Book Reader, they told me they don't pray. I could not understand that at all. But they, no, no, we don't pray. We don't need, God knows what we want, so why should we pray? And I think people misunderstand the power of prayer. Prayer is one important, very, very important tools to grow spiritually. And the more we grow spiritually, the less all those problems of life become really hindrance in our evolution, spiritual evolution. Another thing that I do, and a lot of people are not doing effectively or doing on a regular basis, is meditation. And if we read, if we read uh, paper 160, 161, I think, which is the road and paper, he talks a lot about Jesus going the hills and meditating. But not the meditation that we know about today, you know, which is called uh, <clears throat> mindfulness meditation or, you know, a meditation, all those Hinduism meditation. 
they're not that kind of meditation that uh, Jesus was doing. And there was a paper that was written by Peter Olley, which was published in the, in the Messenger and UI, UAI Journal many years ago, that explained what kind of meditation Jesus was doing. And this is the kind that I do every day. And I found out that after many years, I've been doing that for years now, after many, many years, I found out that when I meditate in the morning, it changed my day. And if I don't meditate, which I don't anymore, uh, I don't pass a day without meditation. But if it would happen, I remember the past, I would miss a day, that day I would not feel well in my mind. Something was missing. That connection was missing. So for me, prayer, meditation, and service are the three things essential to grow spiritually. And when you are growing spiritually, you don't suffer you know, from panic attack. I don't have panic attack anymore. Of course, I still have anxiety like any normal human being. But it doesn't disrupt my life. And I believe that, you know, if, if people would engage more in those activities, even the ranchable creators, they will get more inspired on how to share the truth. It will transform themselves. I'm not saying that some of them are not, you know, all of them are not praying or meditating. I believe that a lot are praying, but there are still some that don't believe in the power of prayer. They don't think that's as important as it is. So I think that the tools are all there for us in the Ranchable to grow spiritually. It's just for us to use it, but it, it takes discipline. For example, if I have an appointment early in the morning, well, I will make sure I will get up at least an hour earlier so to make sure that I have my hour meditation in the morning. That's how, in my meditation in the morning, what I do before I, I meditate, I read two things. We have meditation, you know, like a small message from the inner voice. It's called a, a book written by Ellen Caddy. And then there's a few passages of the Rancher book underneath. It's a it's kind of meditation uh, message that's sent to every members of our organization. Are you Quebec. talking about the uh, thought of the day? Is, that that uh, that I've been getting what, for twenty what, years from the foundation, right? It's a little word of a. Uh, uh, no, it, 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 it's a di- it's a different one. It's one that was uh, Guy Perron was the initiator of that. He, he, he took from that that small voice. It's a book that was written by Len Caddy. It's three hundred sixty five meditation, hmm. and it, it's related. I I believe she must have read the Winchester book at some time because everything that she says. Most of it, you can find, you know, relation to it in the Rancher book. And Guy Perron, what he did, he put some uh, quotes from the Rancher book associated with whatever that woman was, was, was writing in her, in her book of me, daily meditation. <clears throat> and after I read that, I read the Rancher book. I read at least a chapter of the Rancher book. And then I go on the meditation and prayer. And that makes quite a difference. And in, in those meditations, sometimes I got inspiration of what I will do during the day or what I will talk, you know, when I want to go and help people. And I will pray for, for guidance and wisdom. And those meditations are, are so powerful now, you know, because the more I do them, the more I feel their power. But they take time. And a lot of people don't want to wait for that time. They want, you know, the results right away. It doesn't work that way. Prayer and meditation takes a while for us to feel the change that it makes in us. We have to be patient. But God works in mysterious way, like we say. So 
We have we have to have faith. Final question for you, sir, and I appreciate you joining me on the podcast. And I know a lot of people are very grateful that you have stopped in to share some of your experience and your insight. So we're at that stage now where it's not like 1982, where, you know, there were a few of us, a couple groups here, you know, a couple groups there. Now it's all over the place. Uh, I'm most surprised, I think, about Africa. It seems like there is a lot of uh, soil, rich soil, very receptive to the Urantia book and the Revelation. And, re- and Africa is just such a scarred country. Uh, but when do we get to critical mass where people start talking about it or you, you know, you, you know what I mean? Critical mass, you understand where we get to that point yes, where yes, we're no yes. longer in the shadows. <clears throat> uh-huh. It seems like we're getting there. <clears throat> we'll get there <clears throat> when we finally resolve our problem of unity. Like I say, you know, like that I say, but like Jesus says, a house divided within itself cannot stand. Uh, and if we have, if we are as a community, face the challenge that's ahead of us with the changing of the world order, like it's coming. Well, if we're not united, we won't succeed at what we're supposed to be doing. We'll have to wait for another generation to take the lead. And so we have to resolve our issue. We have to come together and be united as a front, like the midway creature did. You know, the midway creature were separated. The, the, uh, the first midway, the second were, yeah. were midway. And they came together as united. And they said, what the midway, you know, are doing, they will succeed, whatever. You know, when they're united doing something, they always succeed. And we have to take that example. We have to live by the word of Jesus, like he says, you know, we have to be united, but not necessarily uniformly, you know, in our expression, but we have to be united in purpose and show to the world a united front. We're not doing that at this time. And maybe because we're not doing that, a lot of the young people are not joining us. You know, it's the question of the hour now. How is it that there's only old people in the movement? Look in the U.S., you see many young people joining the movement like in, this, in the 60s and the 70s. No. In Canada, it's the same thing. The only place I see young people is the new country we go in. But how long would that last? And I've seen even in, in the other country, like in South America or even in Africa, when they see there's division among the association, <clears throat> it gives them confusion. It causes confusion. And when there's confusion, there's no growth. I've seen that so many times. But for people to understand that, they have to have the experience of traveling and seeing what happened. And not only traveling and seeing what happened, but experiencing what's happening. And experiencing what's happening is that you have to be in service, try to promote unity. And when you see that you have problem doing that because there's no coordination of effort in moving along, you see our confusion can be so disheartening. And so like an old African proverb says that I learned, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go as a group. So if we want to go far as an organization, we need to go as a group, not as many groups, as one group. This is, my, this is what I believe in. Well, Gaetan, Charlan, I want to thank you again for joining me on the Urantia Radio Podcast. I know that 
unfortunately, your Zoom, uh, your webinar is coming up this weekend, but it'll be up yes. hopefully, that, and there'll be a place where you can watch it if you don't make it. If you hear this podcast and it's next week, and you're enjoying Thanksgiving with everyone, but is will there be a place where people can watch the webinar after it's been done, or do you post it on the association yes. website? Where where can we find that? It will be posted on YouTube. Uh, the chain, <clears throat> the Association Ranch Association International YouTube chain channel. It will be posted on some local association. I'll post it on Vimeo. I have a we have in our local association a Vimeo website. We also have a YouTube channel. It will be posted on our own website. So it'll be posted at different places. So and then there'll probably be an announcement to say where it's posted afterwards. Terrific. Thank you again. God bless you and all your wonderful, wonderful efforts. And I hope that we can talk again at some point in the future. So thank you.